Satish, at seven, I was riding my BMX. At 12, I was looking at girls. At seven, Paul is watching The Secret. At 12, he is reading Seven Habits. At 16, he's running his own business. What the fuck? My man, that what a... He's 25 years old. He's got his own personal branding company. He's been a dad for six years. And what I loved about him, what I loved about him was his whole world revolves around this law of attraction and this mindset of abundance. I want this podcast to be something my kids listen to just so that they see this is possible. What's amazing is we never really talked about his education and what he did in school and we university and like just the human strength that this young man has and is focused on doing better in life and taking care of his kid. And that's going to make him win and burst through any hurdles he can ever come up against. And I'm glad he's now in our little network of homies that we're building on this podcast, man. Absolutely. When you hear this episode, please like, subscribe, comment, and follow us. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Phil, welcome to Year One. Really looking forward to this conversation. Satish and I appreciate your time. We dive straight in. There's no preamble with this podcast. We just go straight in. And the first question is, our beliefs fashion who we are. And our beliefs has a big impact in terms of how we present ourselves and what we do with our life. You've decided to take the route of entrepreneurship. So give me three or four significant things that have fostered and created this belief in you that this is the right thing for me. Definitely. First of all, really, really appreciate you guys having me on this podcast. Super excited to talk to you both today. So I'd say three key, I guess, events that's happened in my life that has kind of spurred me to take the path of entrepreneurship. The first one was I was seven, I think at the time, and my mom showed me The Secret. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really, really funny because it was obviously during a very formative time of my life, learning about the concept of the law of attraction and understanding if you put your mind to something, you can kind of like actualize that. And I think it was just really good timing to hear that being a little kid trying to find my feet in the world. So that definitely kind of opened me up to thinking, okay, there is more to my, my reality than just my surroundings. So using the, the, the imagination of a child, combining that with the understanding of the law of attraction, I think that's what kind of got me started. A second one would probably be when I was 12, I started reading, I guess, more like self-development business related books. And there was a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I didn't actually read that version because I was 12 at the time. I couldn't, I couldn't understand it, but I read the, the teenage version, which was actually written by Stephen Colby's son. I think his name was Stephen mm. um, or something along the lines. So I read the, the teenage version and that kind of helped again make me realize personal development is something that I want to kind of look deeper into. And then funny enough, the third one was when I was 16, when I actually started my first business, 
I guess it was just that realization of seeing what was going on in the world of social media. So I, I started a fashion brand. That was my first ever proper business, apart from selling sweets at school and that type of thing. Um, and then just combining again, the, the law of attraction, the secret, and then of course the idea of trying to be a more, I guess, developed teenager at the time, reading the seven habits. I just can't put two and two together and thought, John, I think there's an opportunity for me to be able to improve my personal development, I'm, I'm, my growth as a person and try and put this law of attraction into actualization and give it a go and start this fashion brand. And I guess those three key events is what's got me started on my journey. That is amazing. Jeez, man. I've got, I've got a couple of kids, Phil, and we're still watching Marvel and Disney. <laughs> and your parents got you watching The Secret. Talk a little bit about home and, and, and a little bit about your parents and why at that age were they, you need to experience something like The Secret, which is a deeply profound movie, but it also could be like wonky and flaky depending on where you are as a mindset. Definitely, 100%. So I guess to kind of give a bit of a background. So obviously I'm Nigerian by heritage, but obviously living in the UK. My, my pops, he was a entrepreneur himself. He, he definitely ran a few businesses on the side. And then my mom was a, she, well, she is a social worker, but she's always had that, I guess, self-starter attitude. And I think she just wanted to pass it on to her kids. So I hundred percent understand where you're coming from. Like, it's not a common thing for parents to show them, show their kids the secret. Like I, I've actually got a daughter myself, father of a six-year-old, so. Um, I'm yet to show her the secret. I don't know if she's ready to be watching that type of thing at that age. But for some weird reason, I think my mum just saw something in me to maybe show me at that time. So um, yeah, growing up, I kind of was, I wouldn't say left to my own devices, but being the only only guy in the house, my dad lived back in Nigeria. So I just had a lot of free time. I have two sisters. So, you know, it's just a all-female household. I'm the only, only guy. I just spent a lot of my time just getting up to stuff that kids get up to or boys get up to playing games, the internet. So during that free time, I just decided, let's see what business is about. You, you, you're growing up, you want things, you can't afford it. Your parents can't afford it. So I tried to take things into my own hands. I think that's where the curiosity came from. That's all. Were you the youngest? No, middle child. So yeah, I was oh, ignored as well. middle child. <laughs> you're ignored as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that defines now why the secret matters you have to find yourself from an early day of like where am i in the, in the hierarchy of, of the middle child man definitely definitely so man so found your first so talk to us and i just have a quick question because you know i i fell into personal development after i would say some life life trauma i sort of coasted through and then i had a bit of a cancer scare and then i was like ooh, thankfully everything was was good but those three or four months, I started to really pay attention to like, who am I and what am I caring about? And that's when I found secret and the whole genre of, of content and, and YouTubers and all this stuff. But you seem to come from an early day of positivity and, and, and an openness versus a reaction. Curious, as you grew up, how did that information help you through like school and university or friends or life or just your perspective? That's a really, really good question. I think I'm definitely, definitely grateful to my mom to introduce me at such a young age because it did actually impact the way I think I viewed the world and interacted with people. I never, I always say this as a joke nowadays, but like I always say like I have no shame. Like I have no qualms of embarrassment. I could do whatever I feel like I need to do if I need to get something done. 
I think that's just the concept of, as part of the law of attraction, there's the concept of your abundance and having an abundance mindset. So I always have believed growing up as in school, even if people wouldn't get along with me or I couldn't make friends, I always had this mindset. And I guess it's a bit of a borderline delusion that there's more to what's in front of me and I will be able to make friends with other people that I may not know right now. Or yeah, I don't have the nice Nike trainers at the moment, but it will come at some point in the future. And I've always just had that confidence that there is more out there. It's just a situation of a matter of when and what do I need to do to get that? So I guess that's always how I've always operated. I would say I was a pretty quiet kid at school, just read lots of books. So you can imagine <laughs> I wasn't exactly the coolest kid, but I definitely could hold my own. I wouldn't say I was socially awkward or anything, but I used that mindset of there is, there is abundance out in this world. It's just a matter of what do you want and what are you willing to do to get, get that essentially. I've got a question on that, right? So. There are some people that keep pushing themselves because they're actually unfulfilled, right? And then they say, I need to get more. I want more. I'm entitled to more, right? You saying yeah. you keep pushing yourself because there's an abundance out there. That's your abundance mindset, right? So is there a insecurity that's driving you or is it really this? You know what? I'm so thrilled with my life. And I just know that if I open up, I'm going to get more. And there's nothing that I need more because I'm not fulfilled. Mm. This is my, I love this question. I'll tell you why. You can see I'm smiling a lot. It's because I think about this often. And of course, there's, there's so many parts to this. I'll, I'll try and break it down. I think I view life in seasons. And I was, I was having a conversation with a friend recently about this and to kind of give a context, like I feel like I'm in season three of my life. I'm 24, about to be 25 literally my birthday next week and from zero to 16 was just season one of understanding what the world is and I think it was pivotal obviously I learned about personal development during that season but season two was actually the, the interesting season for me which is just kind of finished now from 16 to 24 which was I had I had my daughter I had my daughter when I was like 18 so you can imagine being a teenage dad that's a that's a big responsibility for someone yeah. to have to take on and that of course forced me to, to to mature and grow much faster than my peers and of course i still had that entrepreneurial bug so trying to balance entrepreneurship education i went to university as well and then of course having a daughter that was a that was a whole minefield to operate so it kind of forced me to have that vision and that focus on i need to be financially stable not only just for me now but for another life that i brought into this world but then also i want to do it in my own way too so i think that's probably the gen z in me of the, the, the stubbornness to want it to be, I wanted to not be my own boss for the sake of it, but I just knew the role I wanted that would allow for me to actualize myself in the best way possible didn't exist. So I knew I had to create it. So that was the season two, which was, can I be financially stable to take care of my daughter? And of course, do it in a way that excites me. And now I'm in season three, which is uh, it's to, to, to be confirmed, I'm still trying to work that out. What is next now? Once I've passed the, the, the first year of business, what's, what does this next year look like? So I guess that kind of summarizes my, my, my mindset. So when it comes to being pushed, I, season two was definitely like a borderline insecurity of, I just need to be able to prove everyone wrong that, hey, I'm not, I've not been written out because I've had a kid at a young age. So there was that definitely, I guess, a, uh, a negative motivation to it 
if that makes sense. Whereas now I've, I've realized that's great to get you started, but it's not sustainable. It's very corrosive. It's like a fire and the fire, if it's not controlled, can actually be destructive. So I'm very conscious now. I want to feel like I'm back to my season one of positivity and, 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 and coming from a, from a good place on why I'm getting up every day to work. Cause it's not money. It's not status. It's got to be something deeper. And I think that's what I'm trying to figure out now. So it was, I guess to summarize, it was from this insecurity growing up, but then now it's definitely trying to pivot that to something a bit more positive. So look, we, we can, there's so many questions that we could ask you. This is a fascinating conversation, but I think I'd like to get to your business as well. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your business, if you don't mind, give us the elevator. Yeah, let's do it. So. I'm basically running a personal branding agency called Osai and Osai is, I think from what I've seen is the first ROI focused personal branding agency. And we work with founders and CEOs to help build their online reputation and more importantly, generate the opportunities they're looking for. So we do work predominantly on LinkedIn to help bring in business opportunities, speaking engagements, podcast appearances, just like this. And anything that kind of like falls in between that remit, also talent attraction as well. And I think there's a lot of talk online about personal branding and whether it's worth it or is it a waste of time. I think a lot of founders, they, we, we speak the language of, of money, finances and return on investment. So that's what we kind of specialize in is we make sure every, every pound, any, any, every dollar spent with us, there will be a positive financial and non-financial return with working with us. Who do you compete against in this model? It, it, is it a whole new blue, blue ocean, purple cow thing that you're creating? Or do we have competition in this lane? There's, there's definitely competition in the sense of if you break down personal branding, again, if you, depends on who you go to, you'll get a different definition of what personal branding is. But to us, personal branding is your, it's your, it's essentially your digital, is your reputation digitized. It's what people think of and associate you with when they hear your name and or in digital terms, when they see your, your profile, profile picture, and more importantly, your content. So depending on, again, depending on who you, you talk to, certain people agree with that, certain people disagree with that. So it's a shame that we're all kind of cooped up in this personal branding circle, but I do think there's different philosophies behind that. I guess ours is very focused on, on what we're doing in terms of like ROI and focusing on bringing that return. So one element to that is of course sales a bit of PR as well. So you can see that there's obviously PR agencies that you could potentially go to, or if it's the co content creation side, there are of course ghostwriters and maybe freelance copywriters you can go to, but the whole package put together with our philosophy, I guess is definitely something we're trying to separate ourselves with. And of course the ROI side is definitely our strong point is making sure every, everything you put into this, there is a positive return and you can vividly and, and clearly see that in, in the stats and, and I guess, business options you see. So when I start my business, who? do mm. I need to focus on my personal brand, my company's brand? Which one is more important? Cause I've got limited resources available to me now. So yeah. which is the most important one that I need to focus on and why? That's a really, really good question. And it's a question that I've considered plenty, plenty of times, even before starting the agency. So kind of like I'm, I mentioned before, I used to run a fashion brand and I ran that for five years. And during that time, we were obviously focusing just on the branding for the, for the brand itself. So for the company, rather than 
Phil as a designer at that time. And it worked really well because, of course, it's easy to hide behind that company logo and just push as much content and do as much marketing activity as possible. But it's funny to think that when I started to put my own face out there, I started to see a quicker and more profitable return in the, sh in the short space of a few months at the end of it, of the brand compared to the first four and a half years of running it faceless, essentially. So I think in the world we live in now in 2023, the best way to kind of get started in, in year one with your business should be your personal brand. Because the unique thing about building your personal brand nowadays is a key component to that is the content. I think bigger than just the branding element, people have to, founders need to ask themselves, entrepreneurs need to ask themselves, how do I test concepts out really quickly for a low budget? And a great way to do that is to create content. Because if before you even launch your, your business, if you're able to create um, a 15 second TikTok video explaining the concept of the business, if people are gravitating towards that, it's getting good engagement. People are commenting, saying, do you know what, this is a really good idea. I'd buy from this or I'd invest in this. That's an indicator that maybe you should continue with this. And you can obviously break that down into minuscule elements of your business. But I think overall, if you're able to test with your personal brand, it then will help the company brand. Because of course, it's easier to build a company brand once you've got 10,000, 20,000 followers from your personal account and you just direct all that traffic to the company. And I'd say the last point as well is, of course, with the personal brand itself, if you need to rebrand the, the company, there's issues with legal problems, you might have to change things or maybe even strike off the company. You've still got that personal brand that's an asset that can be adapted and brought to different companies that you may, you may start. I think for me, the, uh, the third point is probably what resonates the most, separating the business and the brand knowing you can last longer than any one idea. Yep, and that's, I, I learned that the hard way in my first business. And I was like, Ooh, I'm going to have multiple businesses as a serial entrepreneur. And I don't want to be the business. No. I want to be this thought leadership with five or six values that I bring to every idea. And that's what I'm going to try to create a brand of. But I do have a question because now, you know, I'm in my forties, man. I think I'm in already like version 5.0 and now there's a Web3 component where identity online is no longer my face. NFTs are becoming identities. Avatars are becoming identities. This, this, this belief system that now you could be anybody you want to be online. Empowering because now folks that traditionally couldn't get online because of self-image or whatever mm -hmm. could represent themselves online. But it also creates a mass amount of confusion of who are you really? And, and, and this weekend, we happened to be watching Ready Player One with my kids for like the millionth time. Mm -hmm. and, and they see that world where they could be any gender, any character, any image, and step into that role. So mm -hmm. if you forecast, you're 25, so shit, you're at the beginning stages, man. And yeah. so when you forecast the next five, six, seven, 10 years, what does personal brand even mean now going forward? when it's not my face anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good, good, good question. And I think I'd, be, I'd actually be foolish to try and give a Nostradamus-type prediction of what's going to be happening over the next five, 10 years, because I know, you want, I know you want an answer, but I can't give you that one. The closest thing I can say is I started Osai in March 2022, and everything at the start then was how can you 
just craft really personable stories about your your life. People see the business side of you, but who else is there to you as a, as a founder entrepreneur outside of that? But then fast forward to October, November, 2022 and chat GPT is 3.0 is, is released. And that absolutely just changed the landscape. Now people are realizing crafting stories doesn't require sitting down with someone to be able to get that out of them. They can kind of do that on their own back. So I guess the, the, the industry or the concept of a personal brand is constantly morphing and evolving. And I think one thing that people don't really talk about is what Gary Vaynerchuk's doing. And I think he's a really, really interesting founder and the way his personal brand is, is kind of taking shape. So I've been paying attention to him since 2015, when he was still ranting and cursing. And that's, he's still cursing now, but he's really going crazy with the, the 10 second videos. But now if you see what he's kind of evolved to, he's now moved from hustle culture, which now is, of course, it's been more demonized. He's now pivoted that towards emotional intelligence. And rather than pushing the Gary V face everywhere, he's now essentially characterized himself into the multiple, I guess, traits, emotional intelligent traits. Like he's got characters like Patient Panda. I can't remember the rest of them. And it's, it's really interesting because now his personal brand has been fragmented into multiple elements. And now he's, he can use that, those different elements and now push that separately. There can be, I'm pretty sure there's going to be cartoon shows about each of the different elements. There's collaborations he's doing with, with actual brands. I think that there is probably, again, we're talking the, the, the Premier League of personal brands here, but I think the way I'm seeing things going is of course. It doesn't have to just be your face that's kind of put out there for your personal brand. It can just be a message personified. And I think that's probably the interesting way for people that are in the early stages that may not be very confident on camera or may not want to really put their face out there. They can, it's, there's no excuse nowadays for not being online, but you can use your message and the value you provide and kind of lead with that. And of course, create some form of avatar potentially to help supplement that. So Dion, if you don't want to be you online, we can make a dope avatar, my guy. Good with that. Yep, I'm good with that. We need to explore that. <laughs> and then to that point, so when my dope avatar is out there, right? And I need yep. to now start creating a brand and things for myself. So in the past, when you used to write blog content, you would have different themes. You'd have like an educational piece, a thought leadership piece, a, a guide, whatever the case might be. When it comes to building a brand for yourself online, should you also have content themes? That's a good question. I'd definitely say so. Because if we kind of take a step back from the personal brand and think of it as your reputation, if we take away the internet, although this is definitely <laughs> before, before my time, having a conversation in a room with someone. That's it, Phil. Yeah. Meeting over, man. You just made fun of us. Uh, That's it. No, I just podcast need to, cut. I need, it's over already. <laughs> Quickest podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> I just want to put that context out there. Like, I think without going off on a tangent, I don't think people, when they create content, they give the full context and it can be really difficult for someone to really internalize what I mean by things and my point of view, because if they don't know who I am and they see a 10 second video, they won't really understand it. And I think that's what caused a lot of confusion on social media, but that's, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, back to that concept of, um, of reputation. So if you think of, imagine we're us three in the room right now and I, I leave the room and then you're like, oh, what did you think of Phil? And he's like, oh, Phil, who, who's Phil? Oh, Phil's the guy that's known for X, Y, Z. 
you want those things to be limited. You want to be known for just one thing. I'd want to be known for personal branding or ROI-focused personal branding. So in that context, your content pillars will help people remember you for certain things. So it's best if you keep that as low as possible between one or three things, because again, you don't want to be a jack of all trades because that's trying to, the, the, the phrase we use in Manchester sometimes is boil, boiling the ocean. It's not really practical. So I guess narrow and thin, narrow, narrow and depth tends to work best when it comes to content pillars. I've got another one for you. So I just want to go back to your startup, right? Yeah. And if you are a solo entrepreneur, it's quite easy to keep your brand. You can, it's quite easy to build a brand and that is a representation of your business. If you have co-founders, right? You have different types of co-founders, some that aren't really keen on being public facing. But let's assume for a moment there's two or three co-founders and you each go out with, or one of them builds their personal brand and the other two don't. In the event that that person walks away from the business, is there not the risk that the business suffers because that brand has been built around this one individual to the, to the point that all business is driven through that individual? 100%. I think a great case study to look at is social chain agency Stephen Ballist founded so if if you look at I'm pretty sure it was in the last year or maybe the last two must have been the last year of when he was an active CEO at Social Chain a lot of he was doing a lot of personal branding activity I'm pretty sure that that is like he did 50 plus talks or like speaking engagements in one year so clearly he's the personal brand focus founder in that whereas Dominic McGregor he was the other co-founder he's starting to build his personal brand now but that's post social chain at the time he definitely didn't push that and i think internally you could have probably identified steven had the the star power ability to captivate audiences so they've definitely done that and it's very obvious why they did that because again when you look at year one i think it was year one or year two of the agency 90 percent of their leads and business opportunities came through steven's personal brand so of course they thought if it if it ain't broke why fix it so they've obviously scaled that. But now if you look at where the agency is now, post Stephen and Dominic, it's definitely, there's been some news in, in the media around their recent sale. I don't know if you guys noticed that it was sold for around like 7 million, whereas there was conversations of it being valued at more. But of course, there's more technicality to that, but it all kind of brings back to the point that if you don't slowly, if you're looking to exit your company or you're looking to sell, which I think, in the context of your first year, you shouldn't be thinking about too much. You should just think about the survival. Your personal brand will can be, become a slightly detrimental in the later years if you're still pushing that and not bringing the company brand. Because again, when we're looking at selling, especially when it comes to agency model, it's not just about the founder. If anything, we want the founder to be, we want to get rid of the founder and see if this business still operates without them. So of course you need strong culture. You need amazing systems. You need good relationships with the clients, great leadership team. So those are kind of like the key components. The personal brand is just more to get you started, to get you to the position to sales and to the position of longevity. But once you're on that role, I think that's where the personal brand doesn't matter as much. It's more of a company branding game that you should be pushing. That's amazing, Phil. Let's drop some bombs on some newcomers, okay? Obviously, this is, this is not just your first year of business, but you live this lifestyle. 
So a lot of our founders are either first-time founders or transitioning from a full-time nine-to-five job into entrepreneurship for the very first time. Two different approaches, similar emotions, similar fear. And, and so from your agency perspective, first question is, does the geography of where you are matter? Like this personal brand in Nigeria versus India versus Canada versus America matter or is it same from an approach perspective? And then number two, if I am going to be your target audience, who is that customer for your brand? Who do you look for? What's that persona that fits directly into who you want to service? Definitely. I'll be honest, can you say the first part to that again? <laughs> yeah. The, 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 is personal branding sort of a universal strategy or does the geography matter? Like I'm a consultant in India. Got it. And versus North America versus Nigeria versus UK. How much does the environment matter versus you can personal brand no matter? Meaning like if I move to UK in, in the yeah. next few weeks, can I bring the same approach? Got it. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very universal because again, reputation, social selling, building rapport with people, that's, these are like fundamentals. And again, back when I think of my personal, my, my personal development, I won't say guru, what's the word, being a bookworm days, back when I was really, really young, I was just constantly reading. I noticed there were just frequent principles that would come up over and over again. And the key concept was provide more value to others than you take and you can never really lose in the game of business. And I think that's just essentially what you can do with your personal brand, regardless of where you are in the world. Where you are as well doesn't really matter because the, the, the algorithms that we're playing with, LinkedIn, TikTok, they will show your content to other people across different geographic borders. So I think, again, back to this abundance mindset that I think has been a frequent thread in my life that I've always held on to is there is more plenty to go around. There's enough attention. There's enough potential clients and business and contacts and friends to be made. It's just about you putting yourself out there in your more, most authentic self. Because if you don't put, if you're not being authentic, then the people looking for people like you won't be able to find you because you're being someone else. So it's key that you just stick true to that message. And then I guess, what, what was the second part to the question? Sorry. <laughs> Just in terms of like, who is your market audience? Because a lot of first timers sort of dive in first year and then they don't really understand the total addressable market. Gotcha. Everybody's a client yep. until you burn money. So in your business, who is the ideal target customer? So for us right now, we're, fo we're focused on serving marketing agency founders specifically or any agency founder overall, because number one, I think as an agency founder myself, I, I understand the, that world really well. But then also, specifically, agencies have to think ahead of the game. So to, to be a successful agency, you have to be one step ahead of your clients because that's the reason that they're, they're working with you because you have that specialized knowledge or, or, or system that isn't widespread. So it gives them that competitive advantage. So, of course, personal branding per se, to an extent, is still something that not every, is not that widespread. Not every single founder and CEO is looking to build their personal brand. So it's a bit of a low-hanging fruit for me to work with agency founders because of course they understand it's a new concept or it's not pot potentially not a new concept but it's a th th this new rendition of personal branding is is not widespread so they want to kind of capitalize before everyone else so that's kind of why i work with them but i guess for anyone that's trying to find who their target audience is again come back to what i said creating content 
is the best experiment to always use. So if you're just creating content about your core values of your business, why you've started it, the vision for it, and the problems you're solving and pro providing that value upfront with no expectation, you, you might be able to identify some patterns within who's resonating more with this, with this message that you're putting out there. So it may be founders that are of small to medium-sized businesses, or you might be finding corporates from large organizations are, are resonating with it. And when you start to kind of see those little patterns, I create what I call hypotheses and try and test them out. So I'll be like, okay, cool. I've noticed there's a lot of agency founders in London that seem to really resonate with my message. So I'm going to try and create more specific content just to London-based agency founders for a month and see what happens when it comes to engagement, but more importantly, the conversations I'm having off the back of that. And then we'll see, did it work? Did it not? Where should I pivot? Do I need to scrap this hypothesis and start again? And you just constantly test. So if you view your first year as 12 months, you've got 12 big tests that you can try and see what data you've got at the end of it. As long as you're constantly trying to get as much data as possible, you'll be in the best position to be able to work out what that target audience is. I think you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know this targeting has only worked. I've only figured this targeting out in the last few months. In the first year, I was just working with anyone that would be <laughs> willing to, 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 to pay me essentially, because again, survival is always the, the first key in the first year. Money talks. 100%. <laughs> Chef. So at the end of the day, to build a personal brand, you need to be putting content out, right? We've got a significant content explosion because of AI. So you've got someone like Gary Vee, for example, that says you need to be posting 15 posts a day across three channels if you want to be seen, right? And everyone's listening to Gary Vee and everyone's using AI now to generate 30 pieces of content on a daily basis. How do you stand out then and how do you actually how do you create that authenticity given the challenges that we've got now with the proliferation of AI tools? Definitely. I think before I get into the main part of the answer, I think I want to kind of dispel that myth that of what Gary Vee kind of talks about when it says, when he says you need to post 10 times a day on all platforms and just push quantity and quality. The principle of what he's saying is correct, that if you want to be seen, or you want to, in my case, the philosophy of our personal brand approach is the three C's. So content produces conversations that builds a community. If you're trying to create content to bring conversations around, of course, the numbers would make sense that if the more content you put out there, the more opportunities of conversations you'll have, which is what we're looking for in building our personal brand. So it is important for you to put as much content out there, but it must be done in a sustainable fashion. Gary Vee spends, and this, this stat was, oh, I found this out pre-COVID. So back in 2019, I'm pretty sure Gary Vee was spending around 40000 a month, $40,000 a month on his personal branding team of Team Gary Vee. That, wow. A ridiculous scale of resources and, and money to put into building your personal brand. <laughs> First-year entrepreneurs are definitely not at that, yeah. at that level. AI, of course, has helped bring in those um, what I call mini soldiers that can kind of do the, the legwork for you and, 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 and help and support. But there still has to be that element of what's sustainable to you and what can you keep up with. I think in a perfect world, if you could post a million times a day, do it. 
that, that's that's perfect because you're giving yourself the most opportunities to be seen. But I think if that comes at the detriment of number one, building the business, and of course what I call delivering on the promise of what the content is putting out there, that's where I, I kind of like put across the line is you've got to make sure that, you know, the content and the, and the promises you're making in that content can then be delivered with the business that you're building. Because if not, what you're essentially doing is clickbait. Because clickbait is you promising something, then failing to deliver on that promise. So it's important to kind of see that as a, like a, a, a seesaw or a balance and you can kind of keep mm-hmm. both in check. There are a lot of loud people on, on, on socials that say a lot of things and promise a lot. And then there's also a lot of people that don't speak too much on social, but they're really, really good at what they do. Both of them, I, in my opinion, are doing things wrong. And you actually need to kind of get a better balance because the phrase is true as much as we hate to say it. If a tree fell in the middle of a forest and no one heard it, did it really make a sound? So I know that's true, but then also clickbait is also a problem that needs to be dealt with. And people need to learn that you have to deliver on your promises. So it's a combination of being able to do both, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, completely. So I'm going to get into the last segment, so, and uh, it's called Compassion Corner. Now, oh. what we would like to know yeah. is, and look, you're in a safe place here, so <laughs> this is just going to stay between the three of us. What are the things oh, yeah. that keep you awake at night? And you are a very positive person. You've got a strong mm. sense of conviction. You were brought up with this law of attraction, things like that. But in your quiet mm. moments, what are the things that, you know, make you anxious? Mm. That's a really good question. Do you know, I, I, to give context, like I've, I've definitely been very, very fortunate, and I feel like it's it's God that's blessed me with all the opportunities I've had for being a twenty-something-year-old, twenty-five-year-old with a six-year-old daughter, and to have run businesses for give or take seven, eight years. It's the numbers that don't tend to to match up. So I'm conscious this is all happening really quickly. I've gone from zero to hundred thousand pounds plus in revenue and i've probably have seen more money in the last 12 months than i've ever seen being a kid ever so that comes with a sense of of a fear of will this be forever am i going through a a spike and then an inevitable drop or will this just be consistent up up trends of course there'll be the down periods from time to time but will i be in this position or a better position this time next year in year two and we'll be talking about that on your new podcast if you put that together (laughs) so i think that kind of i think is one of the last thoughts i have before going to bed is how do i maintain this how do i kind of stabilize this i do believe again with that positive mindset that it is possible to keep growing it's just about stabilization if you do have a really good first year i know there's a few people that might may relate to that that's definitely something that keeps me up i guess the whole work-life balance thing I think, I think about a lot being in your twenties, the whole conversation is how she best spends your twenties. I'm, I'm, <laughs> the amount of time people spend thinking about how to do it. You can sometimes let time pass you by, man. But I've definitely worried about that quite a bit is, am I working too much? Is my daughter, am I missing out on crucial moments with my daughter that I could potentially be hanging out with her, but I'm getting work done? Or is this the way it should be done? And long-term she'll appreciate it because I've put her in the best position to succeed in life. It's, it's a difficult one. I'd definitely say it's just basically sustainability is the key fear that keeps me up. Am I doing this correctly? But you'll never know until 
the end because I'm pretty sure Steve Steve Jobs said that you can't connect the dots looking forward only backwards. You just need to trust that it will all make sense at some point. So I just have built my life to have key values around provide more value than you take, be as kind as possible, keep God in the center of everything I do and just be really, really consistent and, and go to bed knowing you couldn't have done anything more. And by the grace of God, I look back and all the, all the dots have, have connected and it all makes sense. My gosh. <laughs> Yeah. What a great way to start Monday with some positivity pouring into our cups. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Phil, we don't have the solution to those things that keep you awake at night. And it doesn't matter how long you're in business, those type of things are always going to be at the back of your mind. But with the attitude and the mindset that you've got and the fact that you're coming from a position of abundance, I don't think that that's ever going to be a problem for you. So we wish you everything on the best of your business. We want to thank you for your time. It's been really great having you on our show. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BlueMex. For more Year One content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit BlueMex.io to join us on Discord.